Do you want to talk about theology of the body again? Yes, I do. Listen in to find out more. Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost with Joseph and Crystal Gruber, a podcast for Catholic disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Direct, O Lord, our actions by thy holy inspiration, and carry them on by thy gracious assistance, that every word and work of ours may begin in thee, and by thee be happily ended. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Theology of the body again, you say? Yes. So as a reminder, or in case you're listening to this episode and didn't listen to our other Theology of the Body episode, don't really know what Theology of the Body is other than a buzzword. Um, It refers to a collection of documents from Pope St. John Paul II that was given as Wednesday audiences over the course of several years during his papacy. Um, Although he had already written much of it in book form before he was elected as Pope. Um, So it's something he had been working on a lot before becoming Pope and then hashing out more after becoming Pope. And it digs into a lot about really what does it mean that we are body-soul composites and the fact that that is different from animals and different from angels. And there's something really unique in being human, that we have bodies and souls, spirits, yeah. Yeah. And and, and to unpack the, the theology around that. Yeah, as a concept, uh, John Paul II is fascinated by the idea of human love, what it means, how it's expressed, uh, where it goes wrong. And so an earlier work of his is called Love and Responsibility, uh, which is a little bit more of a philosophic approach to the idea of human love. Um, and then the theology of the body audiences that he gave over the course of what, like five years, um, adds a lot more uh, scriptural and theological kinds of um, ruminations on the topic. Yeah, and he starts with the passage in Matthew mm-hmm. where um, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about marriage and he says in the beginning it was not so when they are asking him about divorce and then John Paul II takes that and goes back to the beginning and looks at a few verses in Genesis and just explodes open um Genesis and and what is really written in there um about again what it means to be human and and in particular about what it means to be man and woman and, and one of my favorite lenses with which to look through this, other than icons and idols, which we talked about in our podcast, uh, maybe it'll be two weeks prior to the publishing of this one. Um, the other lens I like to look at is gift. I think this idea of gift is really fascinating. And the first piece that I think is really interesting is I think everybody's heard the axiom, you can't give what you don't have. In fact, if you are a regular podcast listener, you'll remember that I and Rich Budd talked about this on the Domestic Church episode, where I asked him, how do you give what you don't have, Rich? And he said something to the effect of, that's that's literally, logically impossible. And I said, you have to give us an answer. <laughs> he did not. He, he claimed logical impossibility. And, and this is something because I think it, 
it takes a little bit of breakdown if we're going to look at the logic of it and, and to think, okay, what is it that I want to give? Um, and why would I want to give? And yes. Yeah. So when we're talking, I mean, in that episode, we were talking about passing on the faith and, and in particular, um, you know, I, I can't remember that particular moment, but maybe something like liturgical practice in the home or something like that. Yeah. How, how can you make the church, the domestic church, uh, more fully fleshed out if that has not been part of our lived experience? Mm-hmm. And in particular with theology of the body, I think there's this deep and rich understanding of, of what it means to be human. And if we don't have that, how do we give it? How do we share it to others? And and it feels honestly, sometimes for me lately, it's felt a little bit hopeless because we just live in a world that seems to not really know what it means to be human. Um, and yet there is hope because we have a generous God and so if we have to receive before we can give love in particular, like you were mentioning, Joseph John Paul II was particularly interested in, in human love. Um, God asks, acts first. Um, Christopher West says that whenever we're saying I love you to God, we're actually saying I love you too. God always says that he loves us first. And so to know that actually we have available to us that which our heart desires in terms of love through the the gift of God, through his grace that is always there, um, ready to be given so long as we're open to receiving it. And yet he doesn't force himself on us with that either. Right. This this isn't a new, uh, as of John Paul II, theological introduction. This, This is a pretty ancient idea that God always acts first. This is what we get from Genesis on, um, that God is the primary mover uh, in in our hearts, uh, primary in the sense of main and first. Uh, so we talk about prevenient grace, the grace that comes before prevenient, um, which is the grace to respond to God, the grace to to repent, the grace to turn, the grace to um, to reciprocate, because all of human life is reciprocal. And so, if we want to be a giver, we first need to be a receiver so that we can reciprocate to God first and foremost, but then to others secondarily. So I feel like before we go into the how we receive, maybe we should talk a little bit more about why we would want to give in the first place, mm-hmm. because this isn't an obvious, like, I, I don't think we can take it as a given no pun intended, but pun realized and <laughs> apologized for. Uh, we get, we cannot take it as a given that everyone wants to give, mm-hmm. right? So what what is it about giving that seems worthwhile, that is attractive? Um, like we have this line from the Second Vatican Council, I think it's from Gaudium et Spes, maybe paragraph 24, um, man finds himself only through the sincere gift of himself. That is definitely where it comes from. Well, there you go. Um, but we see in that in that idea of giving of oneself, we see risk, right? We, we see that there's the risk of not being received. We see the risk of being used. We see that there's a cost involved. We're sacrificing control. We're sacrificing safety. Those don't seem appealing, right? There's a reason why... I would want to stay in my own little room all of the time 
most of the time. Some might call me an introvert, uh, but part of it also is this fear of going out into the world and being rejected, fear of going out into the world and to be told your gift is not wanted. And so what is it about giving that is um, attractive? So I think most people that I've met, I'd, I'd love to hear if somebody would like to, like has had a different experience that, than this, but when we give, that's when we become fully alive. That's when we become fully who we were made to be, especially if we're giving um, out of a place where where we really are called to give. So that that seems attractive, right? To say, here is an exemplar. Here is someone who has given of himself, and I can see in him joy unlike that of those who stay within the confines of their themselves. Like the man who uh, tears down his walls or goes beyond himself and gives of himself who is joyful. Joy seems to be a, a sufficient reason, perhaps, for for wanting to be a gift. Mm-hmm. But if we don't have a why, we're never going to worry about, well, how can I actually receive such that I can give? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I think also when we give to another, it, it's just, it's the cyclical process, right? That we're like we actually end up receiving because in giving to somebody else, we come to know something more about that person. So we end up receiving that person in a new way. Um, and we like, so like the, the line that has become almost cliche from uh, Gaudium et Spes, man finds himself only through the sincere gift of himself. Um, if this is truly what we are made for, then there is going to be a fittingness to, to self-donation, to self-donative love. And, and it's in a way that other things are not going to fit us. Sorry for jumping in, but but to contrast it with the idea of either keeping to oneself or taking, because those are the other options, right? I can give of myself. I can stay and try to be um, self-sufficient, self-contained, um, or I can go out and take. And I think between those three options to say um, the fruit of each one is telling. If we say that self-donative love is the fruit of which is joy and the fruit of uh, self-containment and, and isolation is... Loneliness. Yeah, loneliness. But also the, the death of, of thought, the death of um, feeling, mm-hmm. right? There, there's a deadening by staying by oneself. You know, the, there's, a, there's an idea that a thought isn't really a thought until it's found its way into expression mm. right so like i can be in my own little corner thinking my little thoughts but until i express them somehow to someone else they're not they're not complete they're not like i find even when we're podcasting it's not until the words are leaving my mouth that the idea is actually taken on some kind of coherent semblance of of shape mm-hmm. um, and then the the taker right um the taker has destroyed all relationships through taking is there a fourth option of just like trying to keep things purely transactional so like the give and take an economy based on um like yeah the, strict strict um parity right yeah and like an, an evenness in the the exchange like it's not about generosity 
it's about keeping things even. So that that is what the modern economy is trying to yeah to say. This this is this is what modern economic theory uh, the little that I know of it and dear listener, dear dear listener, I am not an expert in economics, uh, but my impression based on what I've read is that the basic idea is that we can achieve something like parity where I'll give you something if you can give me something of equal value uh, to myself. Or, I mean, you can express it slightly differently because clearly if it was totally equal, um, I would have no incentive. So I would have to value the thing that you're giving me more than the thing that I have in order to let go of the thing that I have. So even even saying parity isn't quite right. It's parity in that you think that the thing that you're receiving from me is of greater value than the thing that you're losing. And the thing that I'm losing is of lesser value than the thing that I'm gaining. So there's a kind of parity there that you can talk about. Anyway, that that is how our modern economy seems to function. And it's interesting because I, I can think about some relationships that I have where I, I, I have the sense from the other person that I, I, sh- I ought to be very careful of that, that like somehow that that's something they care a lot about. And so I, I try to make sure we've got things even. And then I have other relationships where like we just don't pay attention to that. Like my favorite memory that's coming to mind is when I went to Europe with my best friend before we graduated college and like I got the train tickets and she got a hotel room and I got dinner and she got whatever. And at the end of it, we were both like, do you want to do the math and see if one of us is in debt to the other? And the other one was like, no, do you want to do the math? And I was like, no, like, I feel like it's even enough. Okay. And, and there was like, there wasn't this like keeping a tab open, if you will. Um, and there, there's something really life giving and joyful in that kind of relationship. And, and I think that that's the kind of of gift um and i have no i to this day and we've talked about this many times since like we neither one of us has no idea like if one of us spent way more money than the other one of us but we felt good about how it all shook out and so um yeah to say that relationships can boil down to mere calculation is a, a sort of inhuman sterile way of approaching relationships and i think that's what i really love about this this idea of gift and how John Paul II unpacks it within the context of relationships in general, but then in particular in the spousal relationship, because it like uh, this question of what does it mean to be human? How do I be fully alive? Is something that it just I w- I want to know the answer, <laughs> and obviously there's not a simple answer, but it, but it, this idea of gift seems to to really strike at something kind of pretty core at what it means to be human and that this generosity is life-giving and, and this is particularly interesting in the spousal meaning of the body right because when you so when you look at the spousal meaning of the body you can see biology matters because when a husband gives himself to his wife it can literally be life-giving right in the birth of a new child um and so there the ideal of of spousal love of this spousal union is that self-giving not only the husband giving to the wife but also the wife giving to the husband in marital love um and yeah again can create new life and yet to know to do that well because that can go wrong also right in down the path of use or lust um 
or taking for oneself if we're not first receiving from God, then the spousal meaning and the marital union can also become disordered. Yeah, so John Paul II's Theology of the Body, he focuses quite a bit on the relationship of male and female. Um, But that's predicated upon the notion of the relationship between God and man first, right? Man being the generic man. Right. So this is just as a really brief aside. Maybe I've mentioned this before, but I hope all of our listeners either know this or by the time I'm done with this run-on sentence, uh, come to learn this, that the English language used to have, it used to have a word for human males that was equivalent to that of a human female. So woman is a human female, and virmen, V-I-R-M-E-N, was a human male, and man was the generic term for just the human race. So there was a time in the English language when using the word man to be a descriptor of all of humanity had no possibility of offending one because that's literally all it meant. And if you wanted to talk about a group of human males, you would talk about the veermen. And if you talked about the human females, you talk about the woman, women. And that's not what we have anymore. But one of the strange artifacts from that is that we still use man in both a generic sense and in the particular sense of, of human uh, males. And that pr- unfortunately produces confusion. Yes. Also, probably most, I, I have not met very many other people ever that know about fear men. Are all of our podcast listeners just learned about it. Now they know. Now they know. Okay. So how do we as It's not going to win any debates persons. with anybody. If you offend somebody by using man instead of human, they're still going to be offended. Even if you explain, look, like English has been around a long time and there are some holdovers that are not inherently sexist. But moving on. <laughs> so how do we receive as humans from, from God, God first so that our gift to others is rightly ordered? So if we have this notion that he acts first, then we we should be attentive to his action. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that is maybe one of the best ways to understand prayer is being attentive to what God is already doing in our hearts. Um so to say, you know, where are you, God? Why don't I feel you, God? Um, we can feel that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't feel the feelings that you feel. Um, but I am saying that if your feelings lead you to think that God is not doing anything, your feelings are leading you astray uh, because God is always acting first. And and this is something that's interesting with prayer because I talk to a lot of people that talk about how they try to pray throughout their day and and look for God in the little things and in their children and in the birds and all these things. And that's all super important. In fact, um, it it can be really vital to seeing God work, to paying attention to him in those things, um, especially when we're seeing patterns. But that's kind of like snacking for food. And if we don't sit down and eat a meal, we're not going to we're not going to get what we need nutritionally. And and it's the same with prayer. If we don't sit down and spend a longer consolidated chunk of time trying to receive, trying to listen um, to the Lord, then we are going to miss out on receiving him. We, we just are. I mean, we see this now that we're still in the uh, coronavirus stay at home order. 
that we might see each other all throughout the day and see each other's faces and interact briefly, but that's not the same as actually sitting down and saying, how are you? What is going on with your heart? How are you doing? Um, they're, they're both good, um, but one is actually going to get us closer to each other than the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so carving out that time to spend time with God. And we have done a couple episodes on prayer that I think we've probably linked to in the notes, and we will probably do more on what to actually do with that time because I know oftentimes, as I say when we start, but I still go back to this frequently, like even this morning, where I feel like I'm not actually listening or receiving God. I'm just telling him all the things on my mind. But discipline and time, it's worth it. Um, yeah. Another way we can receive our Lord, at least usually, although not presently, is in the sacraments. So, and I want to talk about that a little bit, right? Because we have the seven sacraments, seven signs that Jesus instituted for our salvation that have uh, visible nature, tangible. Um, we know that they're going on because they are, as the church says that they are. But we are also in a sacramental world. You know, we had this episode on theology of the body, icons versus idols. And to see, you know, one of the ways to talk about the world um, is as an icon. You can also talk about the sacramentality of the world, the fact that the world is showing forth uh the goodness of God, that creation itself is a gift for us, and that it's something that's revealed from the beginning of Genesis. It's also something revealed in our day-to-day interactions with the world, that uh, if we have the eyes to see it, we will be pierced by the beauty of the world, Mm -hmm. right? And I think especially of Chesterton, who was found looking out a window weeping, and uh, someone asked him why, and he said, well, the grass is green. (laughs) Good old Chesterton. Yeah, just to see that the gift of the greenness of grass is such a gift that it could have been anything, and in its particularity, in its regularity, that it's a gift. Yeah. And he was able to receive it, to have that sense of wonder. And and that's an interesting thing because I think, like I mentioned, like only snacking without having that meal in the person's, like only having those little moments of prayer and those little mem- moments of noticing God without having that longer sit down 20 plus minutes with the Lord doesn't work out. It also doesn't work out very well to sit down and and spend half an hour meditating on scripture and listening to the Lord and then forgetting everything he said. I've done that before. Or <laughs> like I have this right. beautiful prayer time in the morning and then I forget about it and I'm like losing my cool all day long with the kids. Like that also is not receiving. It's not I, I didn't actually let what the Lord gave me in that prayer time in the morning get into me, into my heart and and allow me to be um yeah, I, I didn't receive it. Yeah. And this is where uh, some spiritual writers will talk about inviting God into the moment. Um, and, and they'll even comment about how it's sort of silly to say that because he's already there. But by inviting him, we're inviting him to be with us and us with him uh, and to receive his presence and to receive what he's giving in that moment. So, yeah. And, and if we're struggling with this, to, to just ask God, can you help me to be more receptive? Can you help me to learn what it is to receive your love mm-hmm. and to let him help? Because in the ask, asking for help, we have to say, and I'm surrendering control, right? Because you can't rece- actually help. If yeah. If, if we're not surrendering control to God, then there's no space for reception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
So just a few little other notes about givenness, because this, as a as a way of viewing creation, as a way of viewing life, right? Uh, life always comes from life, uh, as we see it. You know, I, I think Aristotle and some of the ancients thought about the spontaneous generation of uh, maggots and flies. Um, not a pleasant topic, but they were wrong. You know, the the life uh, that he was perceiving. Uh, he missed its source, but it did have a source. Um, and to know that every living thing that we see uh, did not have to be and is there as a result of the things that preceded. And so we can see that in our lives, you know, we necessarily exist because our parents existed. It's not, we're not necessary, but the fact that we exist necessarily means that we had parents. Um, and that is something that is a gift right? Like our existence is a gift. The fact that you exist is a gift, uh, you know, not earned, not uh, necessarily asked for, but given. Uh, so God gave us our parents. Now, it may be the case that our parents did not give themselves to us, and that's something. Uh, but prior to that, God gave us our parents. Another thing about gifts is that our children are gifts. We, we certainly haven't earned them, uh, we've realized over the years, we've had three miscarriages, uh, that uh, not every gift gets to be received in the same way, mm-hmm. um, but they are gifts. Um, and when we approach them that way, that they've been entrusted to us, given to us, uh, that changes how we re- relate to them and how we respond to their stages of development and their troubles and their tantrums. It's also really beautiful for me to see how they are gifts to each other and and how beautifully the Lord designed them for each other's good, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And that being said, you know, clearly children can be used. Uh, we had an episode called There's Something About Eve, about how Eve was actually using Cain for uh, the hope of her salvation and that that approach was actually something that warped Cain. Um, but we, we can do that with our own children. So we might take the gift and not use and, and not receive the gift, but instead use the gift. Mm-hmm. And this, this again, is one of the, the risks, right? When we give of ourselves, there's the risk that we will not be received, and there's the risk of being used. Um, and then finally, uh, as another thing to note, like our neighbors are gifts to us. And, and this one's interesting um, because maybe you live where you live so that you have the neighbors that you have or at least one or two of the neighbors that you have. But generally speaking, we don't choose, we certainly don't choose all of our neighbors, even if we choose a few of our neighbors. Um, I'm thinking of exceptions to this, but for most people, <laughs> um, I'm thinking if you like live on the family farm and like all of your neighbors are your family and that's something you don't stuff. choose your family though. That's true. All right. I mean, you might choose to stay there because they're family. Yeah. But that this is one of the things about gifts is that we, you don't choose them. We don't choose them. Mm-hmm. We, we choose to receive them, but we don't choose them. And, right. And that distinction is so critical, right? Um, my brain just went down like a, a rabbit hole. Yeah. Okay. But in the spousal meaning of the the body, right? Like I give myself to to my wife, my wife gives herself to me. This is the meaning of a male and female 
um, as far as marriage goes. Uh, well, I guess we did choose each other, didn't we? Yeah, we did choose each other. That's the that's the cool thing about marriage. That's what the the vows are about. They're saying, "I choose you," hmm. and that's what's unique about that particular this particular relationship. Is that unique though? Friendship also has that. Yeah, but not in. It doesn't have the same commitment, and it's no. not creating new life in the same way. Probably not. <laughs> Hopefully not. Well, but um, but what well, I'm saying is that there 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 are elements of life in which this is going to this is what. Uh, a truism. There, there are some things we can choose and some things we can't. There are all sorts of fun little pictures about, you know, God give me the grace to accept the things I cannot change and the strength to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference, mm-hmm. right? Um, but to know that the things we can change and the things that we can't change, both of those are gifts from God, right? And the reason to pray that prayer at all is because God has given us a world in which we can act in which we're participating in a, uh, a chain of causality in which we are agents, in which we can choose. And part of what we choose is the reality presented to us, and part of what we choose is how we respond. And so, like, when I choose you, that only works if you reciprocate, mm-hmm. right? Uh, my choosing you is not actually me taking you. My choosing you is offering myself to you. Mm-hmm. And you choosing me is not the same thing as taking me. Mm-hmm. You choosing me is saying, I give myself of to, to you. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, it's even in the act of choice with persons, we can't say, I take you. Um, we, we can say, I give of myself to you. I mean, there is an old timey way in vows where you say, I, I take these, I take thee as wife or I take thee as husband or whatever. Um, but essentially, like, we don't choose. I, I am going to come back to this. I, I don't think we actually choose the people in our lives. What we choose is whether or not we reciprocate to the fact that they are a gift. Yeah. Because we can reject them, but by rejecting them, we're also rejecting giving ourselves to them. Yes. Am I splitting hairs? Maybe. Well, right, because I maybe this is doesn't have anything to do with what's coming to my my mind is like you like you can choose to have interactions that are true and good and beautiful with any woman that you encounter you only choose one woman to be your life your wife (laughs) right and so there's this we make the choice with every human interaction of whether or not we're going to receive that person as gift um, down to whoever checks us out at the grocery store to our spouse. But what I'm saying is the choosing to receive them as gift is choosing to be a gift ourselves. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yes. I mean, I don't, I'm certainly not contesting that uh, the the marital arrangement is a unique arrangement. Kind of choice, yeah. Okay, so yeah, um, I would definitely agree with that, that when we choose to receive somebody else as gift... We are also being gift to them. I would agree with all that has been said. Wonderful. <laughs> Sorry, I got hung up on this whole idea about do we actually choose the people in our lives? Because in a certain sense, the, the choice is whether or not we reciprocate to their presence in our life. Now, and, and this is probably another place to make a distinction, right? Um, if we see others are as gifts, to see that in two different ways, right? 
they're being given to us by God, right? John Paul II has a beautiful um, meditation called uh, On Givenness, or maybe it's called A Meditation on Givenness. And one of the opening lines is uh, uh, from his spiritual director um, from uh, as a youth, the spiritual director saying to him, perhaps God wills to give that person to you, right? So the person in his life that he was talking to, his spiritual director, director about, uh, the spiritual director said, perhaps God wills to give that person to you. And to see that every person we encounter is a gift from God to us mm-hmm. if we choose to receive that gift. And another distinction is that some of these gifts from God have also entrusted themselves to us. They are participating in this economy of gift by saying, I am going to be present to you. I'm going to be revelatory to you of a whole other universe behind my eyes that you would otherwise have no access to. I'm going to give I'm going to multiply the world that you live in by sharing the world that I live in with you. And so then our choice becomes whether or not we reciprocate. We can reciprocate with someone who has entrusted themselves to us, but we can also reciprocate to the person that God wills for us to be with at that moment, even if that person doesn't desire to be there in the economy of gift, even if they're acting contrary to give a gift, even if they're there as uh, someone taking, even if they're there as someone who's trying to remain aloof, that we can still respond uh, to the capital G giver, even if the lower G giver is is refraining from giving. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it Can you does. put it more beautifully? Um, I don't know if I can. <laughs> I'm losing it. But I, I think maybe another, another lens with which to see it um, before we wrap up would be that how much more beautiful are those relationships when there's mutual reciprocity, as I like to say. For those listeners who didn't hear her, she said mutual reciprocity, which for our more subtle listeners will realize that that is, yes, in fact. Redundant. But that's the the redundancies of gift are beautiful and life-giving and joyful. So with that. We should probably wrap up. Feel free to rate this, to comment on it. Uh, Comment, that's not the right word. Review Review it. That's the word. Review, uh, share it. Uh, If you're not a subscriber, feel free to subscribe. And we also have a Facebook group in which we are trying to continue some of the conversations that we're getting started in these podcasts because these podcasts are meant to be the beginning of conversations, not the end of conversations. Clearly, you guys can put some of these concepts much better than we can, uh, and we would love to hear it. And so we shall close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Take my hand, let's be on our way. And now, finally, I can say that I love you. Yes, I love From our outpost to yours, thanks for listening. And a special thanks to John Mark Skoke. That's S-K-O-C-H. For the music. Check him out on Spotify. 